Hello and welcome to another episode of My Favorite Trees. My name is Thomas and I love trees. Today I'm returning to the Pacific Northwest region of North America, a part of the world that simply calls to woodsy boys like myself. I'm talking about Northern California, Oregon, Washington, and British Columbia. These states, and Canadian province, are defined by the leafy giants that make up the extensive woodlands found there. And I've already covered a number of massive trees native to these forests, like the Sitka spruce, the western hemlock, and the coast redwood. But one tree arguably sets itself apart as the tree of the Pacific Northwest, the Douglas fir. Out of all the big trees in the world, the Douglas fir is certainly one of the biggest. It ranks third in height, third in bark thickness, and seventh in overall volume. But what also makes it so iconic is the fact that it comprises 80% of all forest trees in the Pacific Northwest region. Not to mention the fact that it is also found along the Rocky Mountains from Canada down into Mexico. This giant is well loved for its presence as well as the quality of its wood, but it's even quirkier thanks to its name, because it's actually not a real fur. And the name confusion doesn't even end there. So let's take a closer look at this tree's unique features as well as how it ended up with such a misleading name. Let's start off by clearing up all the confusion around this tree's name. Its common name is Douglas fir, but what's important to note is that when the name is written, there is a hyphen between Douglas and fir. In the world of forestry, this is a trick used to indicate that the tree is fir-like, but not considered a quote-unquote true fir. As for the Douglas part, that refers to a botanist that contributed to the identification and recognition of this tree. More on him later. For now, let's also take a look at the scientific name. The Latin name for Douglas fir is Pseudosuga menziesii. The species name menziesii refers to another important botanist in Douglas fir history, but the genus name Pseudosuga is a combination of Latin and Japanese, meaning false hemlock. Okay, so this name again tells us what this tree isn't, but we're trying to figure out what this tree is. Let's start again from the top. Pseudosuga is a genus within the large coniferous pine family. This is the family where we of course find pines, but also firs and hemlocks. So there is some sort of relation there. But if you break the pine family down by its evolutionary background, you'll find that Douglas firs are actually more closely related to pines than they are to firs or hemlocks. In fact, one of the earliest scientific names for this tree back in 1803 was Pinus taxifolia. Pinus being the pine genus and taxifolia indicating that its leaves resemble yew leaves. Again, this tree is neither a pine nor a yew. There are very few species in the Pseudosuga genus. Our Douglas fir, the big cone Douglas fir found in Southern California, and a few Douglas fir species found in China and Japan that are locally referred to as Huangshan and Togosawara, respectively. The reason why it borrows so many names from other trees 
is that it shares so many different physical traits with those other trees. For starters, the extremely high-quality wood is reminiscent of pine wood. The leaves are flattened needles that grow straight from the twig they are born on in a similar fashion to firs or yews. And the cones have their woody scales arranged in a structure in the same way that hemlock cones grow. So many shared traits with other trees, but it's actually with these cones that we start to see some distinction. Under the cone scales grow these weird papery bracts, or dangly papery bits, the shape of which is universally agreed upon to resemble the hindquarters of a mouse. Like, it looks like little paper mice stuff themselves up into the Douglas fir cones, and the only thing that sticks out is their two back legs and their tails. Which, according to a number of Native American legends, is exactly what happened. One legend goes that there was once a very large Douglas fir tree, under which lived a mouse. One year, winter came on so cold and fierce. The mouse was protected by the Douglas fir, but feared that it would find nothing to eat. The tree took pity on the mouse and invited it to climb up to its cones and eat some of the seeds that grew in them. The mouse did as it was invited and ate until it was fat and happy. But this wasn't the only mouse living under the Douglas fir tree, and the other mice grew suspicious and jealous of their now rotund relative. They were hungry too, but the fat mouse didn't want to betray the Douglas fir's secret, and so only went to go eat the seeds when the other mice were sleeping at night. But one mouse had stayed awake and saw where his friend had gone, and told all the other mice about the cones and the seeds. All of the mice ran up the tree and stuffed their faces into the cones to satisfy their hunger. The Douglas fir was none too happy about this invasion, and in response, closed all of its cones, trapping all the mice inside. And now everyone can see the feet and tails of the mice hanging out of the cones from where they are trapped. That is but one version of many regarding the legend of the mice and the Douglas fir. Another popular one I've heard involves a raging forest fire and the mice seeking shelter. None of the trees would offer up shelter to the poor refugee mice except for the Douglas fir. The Douglas fir let the mice hide in its cones and thus be safe from the fire. That version ultimately paints both the tree and the mice in a better light. And it helps me segue into talking about how another unique feature of the Douglas fir is its resistance to fire. I mentioned earlier how the Douglas fir ranks third in bark thickness behind the coast redwood and the giant sequoia. Just like with these other trees, bark thickness is an adaptation that allows the Douglas fir to withstand the effects of regular light burning in its home forest ecosystem. This adaptation to fire is something that also plays a role in where this tree more commonly grows. The Douglas fir is not a tree that likes to compete with other plant life in really dense temperate rainforests. It does best when regular fire burns out competition and opens up space for new Douglas firs to take root. You can see this in action in places like the Olympic Peninsula in western Washington. The Olympic Peninsula, home to Olympic National Park and Olympic National Forest, has a wildly different plant composition east to west thanks to the mountains that divide it. The western, ocean-facing side of the peninsula is a temperate rainforest, receiving an upwards of 150 to 200 inches of rain every year. For reference, Seattle, a notoriously rainy city, only gets around 37 inches of rain a year. 
On this rainy side, the forest is thick and lush and made up primarily of trees and other plants that are willing to bump elbows for room. In these forests, less than 2% of the trees are Douglas firs. But on the eastern side of the peninsula, the mountains create a rain shadow, where the forests are drier and end up seeing occasional fire. When the competition gets burned out like that, Douglas firs are more readily able to dominate the landscape. The Pacific Northwest is not the only region these trees are found. Douglas firs also grow all throughout the Rockies, although they don't reach the same monumental heights as they do out on the coast. In fact, the Douglas firs growing more inland are unique enough to be considered their own variety within the overall species. But regardless of how tall they get where, their vast range makes them one of the most widespread and recognizable conifers in the American West. And their size really is impressive when they are able to stretch out. The tallest Douglas fir, found in Coos County, Oregon, was measured at around 327 feet or 99.76 meters tall. This tree, called the Dorner fir, was considered the tallest conifer in the world that isn't a coast redwood until just last year when a Sitka spruce growing in Redwood National Park was found to be just a couple feet taller. Poor Douglas fir constantly having trouble in another shadow. But I doubt this detail makes it loved any less. Ever since it was discovered and cultivated by European botanists, it has been considered a marvel of North America. Let's actually talk about those botanists that helped introduce it to the rest of the world and also contributed to its varied name. So we have our tree, the Douglas fir, Pseudosuga menziesii. We know it's not a true fir and it is a false hemlock. But who is Douglas? And what is a menziesii? Let's start with the latter. Menziesii is a name referencing a Scottish botanist named Archibald Mingus. That name, Mingus, despite being pronounced Mingus, is actually spelled M-E-N. Z-I-E-S, hence the scientific name Menziesii. Scotland is a silly place. Anyway, Mingus was born in Scotland in 1754 and studied botany and medicine from the age of 14 to 24. Nowadays, it may seem strange to see those two fields of study paired together, but it makes sense when you considered how medicine, prior to being synthesized in labs, was derived from plants. With his medical experience, Mingus was commissioned by the Royal Navy and actually fought in the American War of Independence, though specifically against the French rather than with America directly. After the war, in 1782, he stayed in the Americas and started collecting plant samples in eastern Canada. These collections were so impressive to the Royal Society back home that he was sent to join an expedition around the Pacific Ocean, investigating the trade of sea otter furs between the Pacific Northwest and China. It was during this expedition that Mingus made an incredible amount of collections and botanical discoveries for the Western world. One such discovery was recognizing that spruce trees possessed a compound that fought off scurvy, something that local native populations were familiar with, but would take an outsider with a combination of botanical and medicinal knowledge to understand. 
Mingus would also make over 200 collections that would introduce the modern world of science to what are now considered the most recognizable Pacific Northwest plant species, trees like the Sitka spruce, the western hemlock, the coast redwood, and the Douglas fir. But because this expedition was one concerning Pacific trade, his collections would also include tropical species from Hawaii, New Zealand, and other island nations. It became very difficult for him to maintain all these collections throughout his travels into such diverse ecosystems and climates, despite constructing a greenhouse on his ship, and so he would refuse to release his botanical journals to the UK upon the expedition's conclusion. At the age of 46, Archibald Mingus's difficulties with asthma would bring his travels to an end and see him settling down with a wife and a comfortable medical practice back home. Over the years, he would try to compile his research for the sake of publishing, but it was such slow going that others would beat him to several first discoveries, despite his collections being made earlier. But today, some 15 or so species bear the name Menziesii in commemoration of his accomplishments, including the Douglas fir. Now, let's look at the other name attached to this tree. The common name, Douglas fir, is named for David Douglas, another Scottish botanist born in the 1700s. Douglas would actually be born in the same region of Scotland as Archibald Mingus, but not until 1799 when Mingus was about to retire. But unlike Mingus, Douglas did not have the same penchant for education and would opt for apprenticeship at Glasgow's Royal Botanic Garden over formal university education. It was while he was at the Botanic Garden in his early 20s that Douglas would study directly under Sir William Hooker, a massive name in British botanical history. For reference, Hooker would serve as the director at the Kew Botanic Garden, a world-renowned institution of plant collection and research, and would be the one to first implement an arboretum there, an arboretum being a plant collection of specifically trees. You can see how I would view his tutelage as a big deal. Hooker was so impressed by Douglas that he would end up sending him to the eastern United States and Canada to make plant collections. These collections would, again, be so valuable that Douglas would then be sent on an expedition to the Pacific Northwest. This journey would involve sailing around South America, and of course he would end up making numerous collections from this part of the world wherever he managed to make a stopover. Douglas eventually landed at the mouth of the Columbia River, the waterway that now serves as the border between Oregon and Washington. And he just took off into the woods, covering as much ground as he could and collecting as many samples as he could. Ultimately, he managed to traverse 2,000 miles throughout that region by the onset of his first winter there, mostly on foot. The following year, Douglas went out again, this time making it as far as eastern Washington and traversing 4,000 miles by foot and canoe. And he wasn't just collecting plants, he was also making collections of mammals, birds, and fish, as well as studying the culture and practices of multiple native tribes in the area. After two years of monumental success, he then proceeded to walk the rest of the way across the continent to the East Coast and took a ship back to Great Britain in order to deliver his research and report on his findings. As you can imagine, he received fellowships in multiple natural science societies and was already having entire plant groups named after him. And he was only in his late 20s. Douglas could not bear to stay in society for long, though. 
and when he turned 30, he returned to the Pacific Northwest, financed by both the Royal Society and the Hudson Bay Company. But unfortunately, he would get too ambitious with his plans this time around, getting the idea to cross British Columbia, Alaska, and Siberia to get back home. He would get turned around by formidable Arctic conditions and become shipwrecked along the Fraser River in British Columbia, losing all the collections he had made, as well as his research journal and all of his equipment. Now partially blind and suffering from rheumatism, Douglas somehow made it back to the Columbia River in the area of modern-day Portland. Switching gears, he decided to instead sail for the Hawaiian Islands and make collections there. He'd get there, but just before his 35th birthday, David Douglas would fall into a pit trap meant to catch wild cattle. There would, in fact, already be a bull at the bottom of this pit who would gore and trample Douglas to death. For the hundreds of plant introductions made during his journeys, Douglas now has over 40 species named after him, including the mighty tree of the West that he spent a lot of time around, the Douglas fir. There's a lot of different ways that we name plants, and sometimes we name them after people. It's always wonderful when the people whose names are given to plants are people like Archibald Mingus and David Douglas, incredible contributors to our modern understanding of the world around us. Their histories deserve to be attached to such an incredible tree. And what an incredible tree the Douglas fir is, with uses abound. For native tribes living in its forests, the wood was heavily used as fuel for fire, but also for a number of tool-based purposes as well. The pitch or sap of the tree was incredibly important for tribes living near rivers and coasts in the west as caulking and sealant for canoes and other watercraft. And culturally, we see the Douglas fir carrying protection symbolism wherever it grows. Protection symbolism is a common association with trees, as I've presented many many times at this point. In the Pacific Northwest, we also commonly see conifers specifically holding protection symbolism with the thought that the needles of the trees ward off evil spirits. The Douglas fir gets the extra boost of protection thanks to its thick bark protecting it from fires. Symbolism is so often explained by biological features. In modern America, no other timber tree is as highly regarded as the Douglas fir. It is simply the most popular and heavily used softwood in the United States, thanks to a number of factors, including the wood's strength-to-weight ratio, its consistently broad and straight grain, and its beautiful reddish color that deepens with age. It is very common to see Douglas fir used in construction, as well as specialty applications like railroad ties. It is basically the wood that built the railroads connecting America. Beyond its tangible applications, the Douglas fir continues to hold cultural significance as well. We love big trees, and it's always wonderful to see trees that grow in such diverse conditions. I've seen massive Douglas firs in the valleys of the Olympic Mountains in western Washington, and I've seen small but sturdy Douglas firs at the bottom of Zion Canyon in southwest Utah. In the American West where it grows, it is considered to be the most popular Christmas tree species and is exported around the country to make it compete nationally in popularity with true firs and spruces. Its name may be confusing, but there's no uncertainty as to what makes the Douglas fir so fascinating. 
In a few weeks, the Jewish world will be celebrating one of their most important holidays, Sukkot. I talked about Sukkot last year as its history and celebrations put importance on four tree species. The citron, which I talked about last year, the willow, the myrtle, and the date palm. On October 4th, a few days before Sukkot begins, I am going to revisit this holiday with a focus on the date palm. Dates were one of the most important food crops in our earliest civilizations and still holds culinary and cultural significance in those same regions today. Come back in two weeks to learn about our third palm species on this show and the massive history its fruits hold. I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast. If you have the time, leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to help us grow. The music is by Academy Garden. You can find more of their awesome stuff at academygarden.bandcamp.com. My cover art is by at BoomerangBrit on Instagram. My script editor and social media manager is the wonderful Lori Hilburn. Find me on Twitter and Facebook at MyFavoriteTrees or on Instagram at TreePodcast. And if you'd like to thank me back, you can do so by donating to your favorite sustainable organization, some of which are listed on my website, mftpodcast.com. Now, go find a tree that you love and give it a hug. Mm-hmm.